Hello and welcome to A New and Ancient Story. This is a podcast, a series of conversations, interviews, and occasionally speeches dedicated to the transformation of self and society. The basic idea is that we are moving from a story of separation to a new story, new for the dominant culture at least, of interbeing. What that means will become apparent as you listen to this series. We explore things like technology, spirituality, agriculture, healing, economics, politics, ecology, relationships, education. I mean, pretty much everything that is undergoing a transition today as our old story nears collapse. If you want to engage these ideas more deeply, you can come to our website, charleseisenstein.net. Hey everybody, Charles Eisenstein here with Rishi Kumar, also known as Farmer Rishi, who, um, well, he'll tell us a bit about what he does, but do you work with or for Kiss the Ground? Um, I work with Kiss the Ground. Uh -huh. So Kiss the Ground is the name of a film that I'm really aligned with because it's kind of about climate change, but really focusing on soil. So there's a big overlap there with the emphasis that I'm advocating as far as environmental issues go, which is really to pay attention to what I call the organs of Gaia. Soil is being one of them. So that's why I'm uh, interested to talk to Rishi because here's somebody who literally has his hands in the soil. And I'm just curious to see where the conversation will go. So yeah, um, thanks. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. Is there anything on your mind right at the outset um, responding to what I said, or should I like ask you questions? Um, yeah, I could say, I could say one thing. Um, well, what I should say uh, kiss the ground is, is a uh, movie. It's also a book and it's also a nonprofit organization that advocates for uh, soil health and regenerative agriculture. And I, I teach regenerative gardening course for them. But just in, in terms of what you were saying about the organs of earth, I, that resonates with me a lot because a lot of what I try to convey through my, you know, through my work and through the, through the classes is really uh, changing our conception of how we view earth. I know in a lot of the, these circles, we use this word environment and, uh, and that conveys some kind of separation. Uh, so the word I, I try to use more is actually just body, you know, and how should I treat my body? And, you know, in terms of organs of the earth, yes, the soil is an organ of the earth. And also, uh, we are an organ of the earth. You know, we have, we have a function as humans. We have a role as humans to play. And I think for me, you know, regenerative gardening or regenerative agriculture is about one, really taking the time to realize uh, or to just conceptualize what that role is, and then two, learning how to step into that role. Yeah. In my book, I write kind of critically a little bit about the concept of leave no trace, as if the best we can do is to minimize the harm that we cause. Yeah. But if we're going to be like other beings in an ecosystem, they don't just minimize harm they actively contribute to the well-being of all exactly so if we're going to become ecological beings shouldn't we be doing that as well right right yeah and i think it's really interesting if you look at 
whatever you want to call it, mainstream media or uh, whatever it is, you know, the, the epitome of sustainability is, is not just to reduce your footprint, not just to reduce your carbon, you know, your carbon emissions, but to reach zero, right? The best you can be is carbon zero, net zero, zero waste, mm -hmm. uh, you know, zero plastic, zero, you know, whatever it is, like the thing that you're reaching for is basically to disappear. And, and I think that is, you know, for a lot of people, you're, you're hearing this message all the time, but you're, you're not really hear, hearing it completely. And when you actually like look at that message, it's very stark, you know, it's, I mean, there's a, there's basically this kind of underlying message that, Hey, you know, the best thing you could do for the planet is just to get rid of yourself. Yeah. And yeah, it's, there's a lot of despair that comes from that narrative. Um, so I want to maybe explore a little bit about what you mean by regenerative gardening, because some people are probably familiar who are listening to this with the idea of carbon farming and the validation, which is actually a lot in the Kiss the Ground movie, basically saying that these regenerative practices are good because they take carbon out of the atmosphere and put it into the soil. And I think that that's actually a really limited view. Okay. Um, it does so happen that practices that restore the health and vitality of land usually do sequester carbon as well. But maybe that's not always the case. Maybe the best thing for land in some place, in some microclimate, in some cultural context mm -hmm. may not be to sequester as much carbon as possible. So I'd like to hear what you really mean. Like, are you <laughs> equating regenerative gardening with building soil organic carbon, organic matter, I mean, or do you have, like, what do you, what do you exactly do you mean by regenerative gardening? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And th this is actually something that within Kiss the Ground, uh, we've been discussing as well, because there is this now that regenerative agriculture and the idea that you know you can sequester carbon in the soil is gaining a little bit of uh momentum or you know there's a bit of a movement building around that we're starting to see kind of this you know, i think what you would also describe as a reductionism around soil carbon right so you know we need to build soil carbon at whatever cost using whatever tools and we need to do it everywhere as much as possible and it's interesting that, you know, we, we have this phrase, like, look for the root of the problem. And, you know, if you look at any plant, there's not like one, the root doesn't just go to one spot, you know, it's, for me, it's look for the roots of the problem. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, yeah, carbon is, like you said, like the, the sequestration of carbon is a byproduct of regenerative agriculture or regenerative gardening. But to me, and you know, I, I have my own definition of these things. I think it's, it's still such a new topic that everyone's going to have their own definition. But for me, what regenerative gardening is all about is the role of the gardener in the garden. And it's more about seeing that, hey, you know, I, I can go beyond reducing my footprint. I can go beyond just growing food for myself it's it's really about can we see ourselves in a role of care and you know even a role of love 
with the plants, the animals, the, you know, the trees, the soil, the microbes, the fungi that, that make up this garden. You know, I, I call myself Farmer Rishi, but I, I really prefer the word garden because uh, I think that evokes more of the right image in people's minds. You know, we're, we're looking to kind of settle into this flow that is already existing and, and see how we can, um, I don't know, it, it's, I, I imagine it like almost like a Tai Chi, you know, where there's, mm. there's energy flowing into the garden, there's energy flowing out of the garden, and we're stepping out of this role of control and saying, you know, and saying, oh, like, this is my garden. This is, uh, you know, I decide what's going on here. And we're stepping into this, this kind of Tai Chi, just moving the energy from here to there and making, making adjustments so that everyone can feel that, that the energy in that garden is lifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the one straw revolution where, where as the sensitivity to these flows increases, the farmer or the gardener needs to do less and less like the, the interventions are more and more subtle. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the key thing there too is that, you know, and I, I see this a lot from some people who come in from uh, maybe going through a lot of, and not to, not to denigrate, you know, the permaculture movement or, you know, there's, a, there's so much, I've been through that path and I've seen so much wonderful knowledge coming from there. What I've also seen is, there's kind of this idea that, you know, we're working towards creating this image of nature. And when we've reached the peak of that image, there's nothing for us to do. We no longer have a role. We, we set back into the, we're coming back into the natural place of things where humans, you know, that the nature, this, we can create a garden that is so much like nature that it doesn't need us. Mm-hmm. And I strongly you know, disagree with that idea and that, you know, we're, we're not trying to get rid of ourselves. We're just trying to get to the point where we've, like you said, you know, our, our work is more subtle and, and we're, we're not, we are not the ones holding the system up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We're more participants. More participants. Yeah. Yeah. Rishi, what, what was, uh, like, what got you into this in the first place? Like, was there, uh, an experience or an epiphany or something you had that put you on this path? You know, I've, um, so there, there's kind of two answers to that for me. One is I got into gardening in college. Um, I was studying, you know, as a computer science major at uh, UC San Diego. And unlike many you know, Indian American kids that you will meet who studied computer science. I actually chose to do computer science myself. Uh-huh. I, I was very excited as a young person with technology and progress and, you know, these things that are going to lead us into the future. And I think the more I sat in tech technology and in that, you know, com- software world, I could just see that for myself, like in my own body, I could see that this world that I was kind of working to create is not bringing me the health and the, or the fullness that I've been told that it's going to bring me. And 
I still finished my degree because I was I was well into it at that point. Um, but I, I found myself looking for, you know, what is it that is gonna at, at the very least like what is gonna bring me physical health. And so I started learning about food. I was on, I was on a raw food diet for two years, just kind of mm-hmm. as an experiment. And uh, I started learning about food. Then I heard of this word organic, and there was organic food at the store. And what is that? And you know, okay, like and then uh, organic food has so much variability. Let me just try to grow my own, some of my own food. Um, so that's that's initially uh, what brought me into the garden. Also, my stomach. I've had problems with digestion my whole life, and so I think I found partly like my stomach was guiding me away from the regular American diet. And so I've been in this gardening world or this urban urban gardening, urban farming world for 10 years. Um, but really my views have changed in the last, dramatically in the last two years. You know, after about six, seven years of being in this, I've, I had been through a lot of difficulty and I had come to a very, I think I had come to the end of the, traditional environmental view of you know whatever you, whatever it is you want to say like the you know I just got I've gotten to that place where I was like yeah maybe the best thing is for me to just you know I, I can't contribute in any functional way or something so I had a bit of a breakdown at that point and not a bit of a breakdown I had an extreme breakdown and it's been coming out of that breakdown that has opened up new possibilities and, and new ideas and new ways of being for me. Mm. That, and that's, you know, what's kind of slowly coming out through the work that I'm doing right now in my classes and, you know, just mm-hmm. speaking to others like you. And, and a friend of mine had, had, had told me about you and your work and your writings like years ago. And I just, I don't know, I, I never, uh, I never got your books and, then this year when he suggested it again, I was like, okay, let me read it. And for me, it was like all the ideas that I've had and all the feelings that I was feeling, it was like you had already written them down, you know, and it, I, it kind of felt like I was reading my own thoughts. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I hear that sometimes, you know, that, that, I mean, it seems like the same thoughts are bubbling up in so many people and the same kinds of experiences, like this breakdown you're talking about where the prescription we were offered for life and how to be human just doesn't work. Yeah. We try and we try and we try. And then finally we, we just can't do it anymore. And we just release into this breakdown, which, you know, it's not always so pretty, but it's an initiation that almost has to happen for so many people. Um, one thing I like about gardening and, and your proud identification with it is that it's kind of humble, you know, like, especially in the environmental movement, and whatever, I'm just going to use that word because you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe even beyond that, there's this, this idea that something is only worthwhile and valid if you can scale it, if you can make it right. into some big thing, if you can save the world. Right, right. And so gardening, okay, you know, that view would maybe have, a, maybe it'd be a, a patronizing acceptance of gardening. Yes, it's very nice to do that. It, makes a little contribution, but you're only actually doing something impactful if you proselytize it and teach it and, and offer trainings and, you know, um, put it into media and then 
you're doing something world-changing, which basically means that it's not gardening that you're doing, but you're being <laughs> an evangelist for gardening. That's worthwhile, not actually putting your hands in the soil. Right. It's much more worthwhile to, to, you know, have a YouTube channel about gardening than to actually garden. So this is, in, in my mind, a betrayal of the deep impulse that originally took you and people like you away from sitting in front of a screen programming all day into onto your knees, into the soil. And, and so I'm, I'm wondering, did your breakdown have anything to do with the release of I'm going to save the world? Like what brought you into this? And okay, you are involved in Kiss the Ground and <laughs> organization. So you are actually doing some of this scaling and, and evangelizing, but but that's not where it started, is it? Right. And, and so what was, was this related to the breakdown process? Like what brought you to do something humble in the sense that your ego couldn't pat yourself on the back that you're saving the world now? Yeah. Um, you know, the, there was definitely that leading up to my, my breakdown, you know, it was all of that. Yeah. Just this sense of urgency right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's this thing that we need to do and we need to do it as fast as possible. And, and I think that the key that follows in that train of thought is nothing else matters. I need to do this right now as fast as possible. And when you say nothing else matters, you're including yourself. And that's what I did. That's what I did to myself. I, I didn't pay attention to myself because and this is another, you know, here's another assumption under that assumption is that I am not part of the earth, right? Mm -hmm. I'm working to save the earth and the earth is outside of me. I need to sacrifice myself for the earth that is separate from me. And so, uh, you know, let me not pay attention to my health. Let me work myself to the bone. Let, you know, let me, I need to, I need to just hold on, right? I need to hold on and get through this and just just make it willpower i need to will myself through this you know in that holding on and in that uh closing up essentially you know that closing up that you're doing to yourself where you're and you're actually closing yourself off from yourself you're numbing yourself from yourself you know that's where the collapse comes in um yeah for me this this was the collapse was part of kind of a recentering so you know a lot of it was coming back to, for me, coming back to why I, got, I, I started gardening and at the same time building on those, getting out of the path that brought me to the breakdown, coming back to what actually brought me into gardening and then building on it from there. And you know, one, of the, one of the things, I did this little experiment online uh, just on Facebook just, just to see um, you know, I, I just wrote, wrote the question, why do you garden? And, you know, I've, I'm a, on Facebook, I just have like thousands of gardener friends. So I got like 80 responses from that. And I think out of like 80 responses, there was only two people who said that they garden to grow food, that that was the main reason that they garden. And every other person said, it's my, it's my happy place. It brings me a sense of calm. Like, I can feel connected in the garden. I feel like I have a place in the garden. You know, I, it's just like, whatever it is, like those were the answers. And, and for me, that was like, 
that was why I start. Why you know? Why did I start the garden? Start to garden because it yeah, it, it gave me a sense of a role. It gave me a sense of a purpose. It's you know, it's just a beautiful uh, space to be in. It's a, it's you know, you you can feel yourself as part of this flow, and it it's not yeah, it's not about saving anything. You know, it's not about saving the world. It's not about saving the soil. It's just about healing. You know, it's about healing from the ideas, the culture, the, the, you know, traumas that we've inherited from, you know, this kind of colonial mechanistic worldview. Yeah. Yeah. I resonate a lot with what you're saying. Um, I, I wish that we could let go of justifying or validating things based on some global issue. Right. <laughs> Which, as you said, leads to this mentality of, of I don't matter. If, it's, if I'm doing it for this global issue, then almost by definition, I don't matter. Yeah. Um, nothing else matters, this mindset. So it's related to this, as you described, this will, this forcing, which is part of the mentality of control that is at the foundation of the world-destroying machine to begin with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, that nothing else matters but this. Uh, we have a pretty long history as a civilization of pursuing some conception of progress at the expense of those who do not matter. The humans who do not matter, the ecosystems, the beings that do not matter, um, you know, in the conception of those who are overseeing the progress. Like, if it doesn't contribute to progress, it doesn't matter. Right. So to take that basic mentality and to translate it onto world saving, saving the world from global warming or something like that, mm-hmm. it's the same mentality. It's what same mentality. contributes to carbon sequestration and what doesn't, you know? It, it still winnows out everything that your quantitative worldview says doesn't matter. Just yeah. as the capitalist system winnows out anything that doesn't contribute to the quantitative pursuit of, of profit. And this is a lot of what my work is about, like to identify these basic templates of thought and response and to, to question them. Yeah. And it leads to, because these, these are so deeply ingrained as part of what, what the modern mind considers to be reality and reason, to pursue a different course to put down these templates seems very often highly irrational. Like, why would you do that, Rishi? Why would you <laughs> give up a promising career in software development, you know, and like, and go back to something that human beings did 10,000 years ago? Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, there's a certain corner of, of many people's minds that, that thinks that that is naive. Crazy. Crazy, impractical. <laughs> I mean, there's even, you know, there's my son, actually, my son, Matthew, followed a little bit of a similar trajectory to you. He, he, um, when he was, I don't know, what was he, 19 or 20, he, he, uh, this, I mean, he hasn't even, he didn't even graduate from high school, you know, but he's really good with computers and can write code. And, and so someone hired him to write this, uh, cryptocurrency arbitrage engine or something like that. Like some like, you know, thing. Okay. Uh, which I wouldn't even try to explain because I'm not sure if I fully understand it myself. But I, I probably won't understand it either. Anyway, like, 
you know, at, at, at some point he's like, you know, I don't want to spend all my time in front of a computer. I'm not convinced this is really doing any benefit in the world, et cetera, et cetera. So then next thing you know, he's at my brother's farm uh, building a root washer. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, it's not like in the old story, the farmer was at the bottom of the social hierarchy. Yeah. And to advance oneself meant to leave the land, to go to the city, to engage in something more abstract, right. uh, farther removed from the land. That was higher status. Like even the equation of higher with better is also a product of this anti-soil way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, why is higher good? <laughs> so, you know, what's wrong with a, lower? It's away from the dirt. It's away from the <laughs> dirt, yeah. So, so anyway, so like my son's choices, I mean, I was very impressed and yeah. proud of him. But there was a corner of my mind, even, even today, you, you know, that was like, oh boy. <laughs> you know, is he, is he, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can totally resonate with that because so I, I actually met my wife in school because she was also a computer science major. So we have this relationship where, you know, I left software for farming and gardening and I just struggled to make every dollar and she stayed the course and, you know, she's how she supports us financially and I'm try you know now i'm i'm finally getting to the point where i am making some some living from this but it is it's a you know i i don't i i try not to blame i don't want to blame anyone or make anyone feel bad that they're they're in that field if you know if they're not doing it for their own love of it and they're just doing it for the money like yeah i mean that's i you don't need to blame yourself for that uh and there's nothing uh, ideal or perfect about, you know, what I do either. It, it is, it's very challenging on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I derive a lot of fulfillment from it. And there are, there are moments of, you know, just pure awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely not trying to imply that, that it's bad to write code, you know. There's beautiful work to be done in every field yeah, a human yeah. endeavor. I think I was saying that more for myself. Yeah, because <laughs> that's definitely that was part of my division. You know, that was one of the ways I divided mm-hmm. the world for myself for so long. Uh, you know, it's like you're yeah. either working for the earth or you're work you're not working for the earth, and and the only way to work for the earth is to heal the soil. If mm-hmm. you're not doing that, you're not you know you're not doing that. Was how I divided the world for myself. Yeah, that is part of my my uh, restructuring right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I, I, if if people could only let go of the mental habit of I am a good person because I. <laughs> yeah. Because when you do that, then you're also saying that the people who aren't doing that aren't good people. Yeah. You're yeah. creating division and judgment and attaching an identity to a practice or to an occupation or something like that. What if it turns out that what you've been doing is causing harm, but you've associated being a good person with doing it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's going to be hard to let go. So, so, and, and it opens up so much freedom when 
I, I find for myself, I, at least, and, and for a lot of people, to not justify yourself. Because mm. if you're not guided by these justifications, then an inner motivation becomes accessible that can guide us in directions that uh, the mind cannot fathom, but that sometimes turn out to be the most useful things of all. Yeah. I, you know, part of this for me is I, and I, and I think this is part of like why I chose to get, to go into engineering in the first place was, you know, I, I was, I don't know, I, we're, we all grow up with this message. We grew up with this message of use logic to overcome your feelings mm-hmm. and that, you know, logic is the way uh, use, you know, look at all the evidence and the facts and deduce the best conclusion. Right. And Make a dispassionate choice based on evidence <laughs> and facts. Yeah, exactly. And, and when logic is your main guide, logic has to exist within a framework. And in that framework, there has to be a good and a bad, right? A yes and a no. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the scary part, I think, for a lot of us coming out of logic is that, okay, now there's no, there's no yes and no. There's no black and white. There's no good and bad. There's no natural and unnatural. Like, there's just what feels right for me. And, you know, what am I hearing in my body to do? Like, what, are my, what is my heart asking me to do? And I don't know if it's difficult. It's just that it's not, so, you know, when, you, when you've never been taught to do that and you're 30 or 40 or 50 years old, it's, it's a scary change to me. It's a new habit for sure. Yeah. Has gardening brought you in closer, in closer touch with, with that habit, with, you know, helped you transcend the kind of yes, no way of thinking? I you know, I think this is everything for me. Like it's, it did. And then I let the logic take over and then the logic failed me and now I'm coming back into it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a yes. This is the short answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Gardening is for me what I'm, you know, and this is also what I try to convey in the, in my courses. It's, it's not, you know, or let's say regenerative gardening, since I've given that title. Um, it's not the set of practices, right? It's not, here's a list of things to do. It's really about being just aware, um, being observant, listening to your senses, listening to the, to the beings that you're interacting with. And that's, that's a major shift, I think, for me in, in going from industrial or conventional or even industrial organic gardening to regenerative gardening is seeing that every being in your garden or that your garden is full of beings, you know, not full of objects. Yeah. Um, And actually that everything is a being. There's no such thing as a thing. You know, everyone is a being and everyone is trying to communicate with us and how can I, can I open myself enough to hear what everyone is saying so that I can be of service? And, and then over time, as you come into relationship with it and treat it as a being, then the garden itself takes on a beingness. Yeah. Even though yeah. it seems like you've kind of arbitrarily defined it, you know, <laughs> but 
but but beings can be born too. Yeah, and yeah. And, um, yeah. One of the, one of the visualizations that I do with my with my classes, I just you know I ask people to just close their eyes and and imagine themselves in a garden. You know, whether it's a garden that they actually have or it's a garden that they they're just you know imagining. Um, and most people, what I find when I ask them to do that is they imagine themselves big, tall, you know, uh, above the garden. The plants are small, they're in boxes, they're on the ground, you know, they're, they imagine little vegetables, little heads of lettuce. And, and then I ask them to, from that view, from that first person view, kind of go up in the sky, you know, and look down on yourself from that bird's eye view and, and see how does your, you know, how is your relationship to the garden changing from this first person view to this bird's eye view. And usually what, what people respond with is, you know, in the first person view, they feel very big. They feel like they have a lot of responsibility. They feel like they're in control and they feel like if something dies, it's their fault, mm. you know, and if something lives, it's because of them. And when you move to this bird's eye view, you know, it's, it's, they're just, they're, you know, from that bird's eye view, you, you're just another squirrel, you know, running around the garden. Mm. And uh, so, you, you know, you're just another being, you're just another, you're just someone else running around in the in the garden and you know you're a participant but you're not the controller you're not the the commander and mm -hmm. if something lives it's not because you forced it to live and if something dies you didn't force it to die but if anything you've you offer you're offering care and you're offering you know you're offering yourself to the plants and to the animals and to the soil mm -hmm. Yeah, you could even see yourself as an organ of the garden. Exactly. And then ask, what is my function? Exactly. What, exactly. what am I supposed to be doing here? And how do I know what, what to do? Right. So it takes you to what you were saying, listening and observing. And, and I guess we could then universalize that relationship and ask the same of humanity on earth. Because as you were saying, we, we're an organ also that Gaia grew like Gaia grew a new organ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the organ knows what it's for yet, but I don't know what we're for yet, actually. Uh, but I know that that's the right question to ask. Yeah. And that, that question only comes from an understanding that it has an answer, that it's the right question, that we are for something. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe um, your way of gardening that you're describing here is... Uh, kind of a good way to train ourselves in that way of thinking. Yeah, I mean, gardening is just a, I think it's just a very healing process. You know, there's a lot of lenses that we can put on when we go out in the world with, with all that society teaches us and with schooling and, and, you know, you can go out into the lens with, into the garden and, and look at it from, you know, the, perspective of carbon and you could look at it from the perspective of economics and you could look at it from the perspective of politics and you know here's you know this is how a garden might affect 
or healing therapy. Right. Yeah. And I also feel like being in the garden is most powerful when we can actually take all those lenses off and have this very raw and very intimate experience with, you know, with the earth that we are. Mm. Um, you know, there's just a lot, there's also just a lot of BS that you can see through while you're in the garden. You know, there's certain things that, you know, you're, you're, we're told as a culture and as a society that you can very just quickly understand that those concepts are crap by being in the garden. And, you know, just to give an example, like I've been doing this written series on the language of regeneration. So I've been kind of deconstructing some of the words that we use in English specifically and, you know, how I've seen that those, these concepts that the word represents doesn't actually exist by being in the garden. Mm -hmm. And and the first one I I did was on, was waste. So we're told that uh, you eat, you know, we eat food and then there's food waste and we use water and that becomes wastewater. And, you know, that word that we use waste is saying that some, you know, someone or something had value and because we used it, it then has either no value or it has a negative value. And if it has a negative, you know, if it has a negative value, we have to, we have to get rid of it. We have to take it away from us. It's going to cause us harm if we keep it near us. Uh, We have to put it somewhere. Uh, We don't really know where it's going to go as long as it's just far away and we don't have to think about it. Right. Um, And, and, you know, this, this concept of waste, when you're in a garden, it becomes really clear that this is a BS concept. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, I take, I eat my food and there's some leftovers and that's not some toxic, terrible thing that I need to get rid of. And, and also my waste, right? My, my human waste is not, again, some toxic, terrible thing that I need to get rid of. But these are actually, and the word I offer in, in exchange for waste is gift which I think will resonate a lot with your work. Um, But, you know, the, my, what I think of as my waste is actually my gift, my gift that connects me to the other beings in the garden. Right. So, you know, my, my pee or my poop, you know, is actually this gift that I offer every day. Right. And that is very easy for me to offer actually, if I'm, I'm not in a, 10-story apartment building but if I'm in a garden it's very easy for me it's something that without too much effort I can offer this gift every day to the plants and to the soil and you know whoever it is that is in need of this gift Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah I, I just feel like it's you know the garden can really help us kind of see through these these very degenerative concepts that are are in our daily actions, they're in our daily language, they're in our daily thoughts. And so if we can just see that very clearly that, hey, this this is not a real thing, you know, waste is not a real thing, then we can start to reorient around a world without waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. Yeah, we use it, it had value, we use it, 
Now it has no more value. We've used it up. Yeah, we've and, consumed it. We've consumed yeah. it. But yeah, in nature, there's no such thing as waste. It's, it's a gift circle. Any organism's waste is food for another organism. And so how do we rejoin the circle of the gift and have an economy that is an extension of ecology where everything we make is a gift? And the thing about the gift is it has to be given to the right recipient in the right way. Exactly. It's not exactly. indiscriminate, you know? So yeah. It, yeah. it requires, yeah, understanding of these other beings that are in the circle. Yeah, this, that, that kind of, you know, this, the idea of pollution as well, you know, pollution as a kind of accumulation of unwanted or unneeded gifts, mm -hmm. you know, all that, the nitrogen in the Gulf of Mexico not being a toxin, just being a gift in the wrong place, and the carbon in the atmosphere not being a toxin, but a gift in the wrong place. And, and also, I just want to say, you know, that uh, I really think it matters that, you know, like I, I, the, the word that really bothers me is wastewater. And I don't know mm -hmm. why, why it's particularly I find that that very disgusting to say that water is ever waste. You know, I, I, I feel like that's so insulting to this form that is so important to us, you know, and like should be, you know, it's like for me, water should be worshipped and to call, call it wastewater is, is, uh, I don't know, it's like hurtful, you know. You're in LA, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know about walking water and that, that whole project? Uh, the one that walked, where they walked up the uh, LA aqueduct? Yeah, they walked all the way from where LA sources its water in uh, the Owens Valley. Right, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Where, where the, you know, indigenous people there say where they, you know, started stealing the water. Um, and yeah, they, they, they did this walking water project and they walked all the way across LA too to bring attention to, in part what you're talking about, that, you know, LA spends a billion dollars or something sourcing water and then spends another half billion dollars getting rid of the water that it calls wastewater, yeah. storm water and stuff. You know, they, they yeah. so if, 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 it, if they organized their priorities differently and created water retention landscapes and, and, and things, then none of this would be necessary. Yeah, no, I mean, Charles, I mean, I, I've been doing, you know, like I've been helping people with their gardens, and their landscapes for so many years. And in LA, you know, the, 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 uh, I don't know if it's the code enforced way or the, the just the typical way that your rooftop water goes into the downspout, goes into the, goes directly out to the street, goes directly into the storm drain, goes directly into the ocean. You know, yeah. so here's on the one hand, you all the all the water that lands for free from rain, you direct directly into a drain and and throw it away, and then at the same time you have pipes coming into your yard from, you know, all the way from the Owens Valley or all the way from Sacramento Delta. And, and then you pay for that water, you know? Yeah. And this is the, tr this is the case for so many things too, right? Like every week you mow your lawn, you, you rake your leaves, you throw them away, and then you go buy fertilizer. Like, you know, it, 
I don't know who came up with these systems, but you know, once once you start seeing them, they just, they seem so absurd, you know. Yeah, you mentioned code, you know, code uh, enforcement and stuff. Like a lot, some of the things you're talking about are actually illegal. My brother can't use human waste on his organic farm, right? Or or, or composting toilets are illegal in a lot of places. Uh, you know, systems to convert, to, to treat black water, you know, and reuse black water and gray water yeah. are illegal in most places or they don't meet, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I guess I'm just saying this because this isn't only a kind of ma- a matter of personal practice. It also is a political issue. Yeah. And as we take on these values of, regeneration and the circle and the gift we then we need to translate them into shared agreements you know the agreements that we call law you know regulation this is important work too are are you involved in any of these efforts to change the the laws that make i mean you can't have <laughs> you cannot have a sustainable system if you're flushing your poop into the ocean yeah, yeah impossible yeah <laughs> Are you involved in this or is Kiss the Ground involved in this also? Um, I've been involved in some policy moves um, peripherally, but not directly. So there was a, you know, there was a couple here in LA recently, like um, there's an urban agriculture incentive zone act, which was passed a couple of years back. That was about giving landowners tax breaks if they lease their land to urban farming groups for a certain number of years. Um, so, and that one has, that one is law now in LA. Uh, there's also uh, the Parkway Gardens in, mm-hmm. in LA, you know, those, if, have you, have you heard of Ron Finley? No. He's, he's actually who I would say is the most famous gardener in the, in the country. Uh, <laughs> but he, he, um, he planted a garden in his parkway, which is like the strip of land between the sidewalk and the road, mm-hmm. which technically the city owns, but you are supposed to take care of it. So he, you know, normally people plant lawns or they or they just concrete the area. And he planted a garden with bananas and you know peach trees and plum trees and artichokes and sunflowers, and then the city gave him a ticket for not you know for having i don't know whatever it was like it was against the law to have those plants in the parkway and so he didn't pay a tick the ticket then they put a warrant out for his arrest mm-hmm. uh, and then he kind of became well known after that because uh he he basically worked with the la food policy council and got the uh got the law changed so now that so that now food gardens are legal in parkways all across la wonderful uh, and so that's exactly what you're saying. You know, it's like we've had this, uh, we've derived all these codes and all these laws and all these practices based on this divisive, you know, categorizing, divisive way of thinking. And, you know, with, and, and that way of thinking says, you know, the parkway, it can only have grass in it. And if there's no grass in it, then it's ugly and it's illegal, right? And, and so when we change that, 
when we get out of that categorized worldview, then we can, then we also need to bring our physical world out of that categorization too. And, and that's where these, these policy changes come in. And, and yeah. even on a home level, you know, like, re, you know, redirecting your laundry machine to gray water and harvesting your rainwater and putting in an outdoor shower and whatever mm -hmm. it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it all comes down to the basic paradigm of control. The lawn is very controlled environment. You know, you cut it to a certain length, you know, you have you use chemicals to make sure there's only one kind of plant called grass or just a, <laughs> a few kinds. Yeah. Uh, the whole so-called wastewater system is also about controlling water. This water goes here, that water goes there. We have to bring in a certain amount, you know, it's, it's under control. Yeah. Um, and, and the kind of gardening you're describing is really a release of control. You're not imposing your design onto the land, but you're exactly. starting, as you said, with, with listening. Um, what, what, I, what I tell people is, you know, in a, in a traditional landscape, you kind of, you, you know, someone comes in or you, you come in and you decide, okay, this is what the landscape is going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, this plant is going to be here, this plant is going to be here, that tree is going to be this size, this bush is going to be this size, this shape. And you put all your effort into maintaining that plan, right? The grass has got to be this tall. It's got to cover this area. It shouldn't go across mm -hmm. this line. And you put all, all of your effort, right? Every week you mow it, you trim it, you whatever. Like it should always look exactly the same. And, and what I'm telling people is, no, like your garden this is this is not you know what we're gonna do is we're actually gonna let go here and we're gonna we're, we are gonna design right but we are gonna design with everyone else we are just another designer in the garden along with all the trees and all the animals and all the insects and this garden is gonna change constantly and it's gonna grow and you know it's gonna you know you can even think of it like you're like a you know you you shape your own hair, right? Like you let your hair grow out you cut it back, you change the shape. You, this is kind of like the garden. It's, mm -hmm. you're, it's everyone together creating this expression. Um, yeah, and, I had a garden a number of years ago where I can't remember what plant it was. It might've been the kale or something that actually like migrated. Like it started walking around the garden, you know, <laughs> yeah. as it you know, reseeded <laughs> itself, like it would grow and, 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 it would, yeah, it kind of like traveled. Yeah, so you're really letting, you know, uh, we're, it's a, it is, it's a form of art and it's a form of expression, mm -hmm. you know, and, and um, even with the soil, you know, what are we trying to do? Like, are we trying to get carbon into the soil or are we, are we seeing the soil as a living being and are we giving the soil enough care and enough love that the soil is able to express herself mm -hmm. you know like can we help the soil reach a level of maturity and richness that she can then decide okay here you know i'm going to express myself by germinating these seeds you know I, i'm going to put poppies over here and i'm going to grow arugula over here and i'm going to grow you know i'm going to i want 
this tree to be really big and beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put a lot of my energy into this tree. And so really seeing that, you know, that, that consciousness in the garden and that we're, again, you know, we're just part, we're co-creators, we're co-conspirators, we're co-designers mm -hmm. um, and everyone else is doing the same thing we are. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that might be a good way to end, but I'll maybe give you a chance to give a shout out to anything you'd like like us to be aware of. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, well, if you want to find me online, I am at uh, farmerrishi.com. I'm starting to put some, some of my writing up there, kind of spreading some of my ideas there. Um, I'm also, I am also on Instagram at, at Farmer Rishi. Uh, yeah. If you are in LA, I run a nonprofit organization called Sarvodaya Institute. And I have a nursery and a farm and we run a couple of gardens. So uh, mm. you can find us. I, I know I'm going to, I'm giving a bunch of links here. Just no, it's fine. We can put those in the description. Okay. So that's uh, Sarvodaya Institute, our website's upliftmentofall.org. And, uh, and then finally, I am teaching this class for Kiss the Ground. Uh, it's called Regenerative Gardening and Living. And we're trying to do it about four times a year. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're interested in taking the course, uh, you can find me on the Kiss the Ground website as well. Great. Yeah, well, I'm really, I've really enjoyed talking to you. You know, I'm, gardening is kind of in my family line. My uh, father was an avid gardener, and my grandfather on the other side was a gardener. Um, I'm not as good a gardener as they were, but <laughs> you've inspired me to, uh, to put a little bit more attention into it this year. Hey, I tell people, you know, if, if you think you have a brown thumb, then start composting, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've. Everyone already, you know, everyone gardens in their own way, whether we're, whether we're out outdoors with plants or whether we're with people or, you know, whatever it is, like, it's just another form of nurturing and, and care. And I think as long as you have some of some kind of relationship like that in your life, that's what's really important. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. And I just want to, yes, I feel like, I feel like, you know, you're you're like a little bit of a celebrity in in the circles I I'm in. So I feel very honored to be on your podcast, and thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time too, away from your garden. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. All right. Have a, have a good evening. Yeah, you too. Rest up. Take care. This has been a new and ancient story with your host Charles Eisenstein. I offer this podcast in the spirit of the gift, by which I mean that I don't withhold premium content for a price or put up paywalls or do affiliate marketing or have advertising or anything like that. Instead, I rely on supporters like you. If you would like to support it, you can subscribe at charleseisenstein.net for a small monthly amount, or you can subscribe for free as well. Either way, you get the same content, everything's the same, and you'll be notified every time a new podcast comes out. Also on the site, you can find archived episodes along with everything else that I produce, essays, books, videos, online courses. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll be with you again next time.